Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis 1, that's where we're going to start. But before we get there, I'd like for you to watch this video with me. Long ago, I watched behind a glass wall, scared, helpless, but awakened staring right at the hard truth, but hardly recognizing it at first. Truth had been buried beneath busy days, set aside with each passing year, then forgotten beneath useless ambitions. What was this truth? Life is sacred. I had missed the great calling from God that life must be protected, cherished, revered, No matter how old, no matter how young, no matter how foreign or desperate or different or defenseless, life was what God cared about. Life was the gift that He freely gave. Life was why He came and why He died. How could I have forgotten? Now I see its sacred beauty, the glory of the Father that shines bright through innocent eyes the mercy of the Father that reaches out to us through desperate hands, the grace of the Father that pours into us and out of us, the love of the Father that beckons us not to just look, but see, not just breathe, but inhale in that way we live life abundantly, protect it reverently, and cherish it deeply in His name. One of the great truths that is described in that video is that life is sacred. It is a beautiful, sacred gift from God. And I want us to think about that uh, for just some moments this morning, uh, what, that, what that looks like. Um, many of you know that, that yesterday was the 49th anniversary of the Supreme Court's decision in the Road versus Way case. And it was a decision that I think kind of solidified uh, the culture of death that has permeated uh, our, our country, uh, our nation. Um, and it, it kind of put forth this idea, it's a lie, but it put forth this idea that somehow our Constitution protects the right of someone to take the life of an unborn child. And it is a a wretched lie. Now, one of the beautiful things that stands against that in stark contrast is the Word of God. And one of the beautiful pictures uh, in the Word of God that I have just felt compelled, uh, I hope it's by the Holy Spirit, to pray into uh, over this idea in our culture is the idea, uh, the biblical concept of the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is a 50th year. Uh, It is a a year when God calls his people to reset. It's a a year of setting things right. It's a year of restoring. It's a a time when the land would be at rest and rejuvenation could come. And I am praying that as we enter this 50th year, that it might be a year of jubilee over this issue. That 
we would see our Supreme Court reset this reverse, if you would, the horrible decision that was made 49 years ago and restore uh, to our land a provision of protection for, for innocent lives. Now, you and I both know that no law is going to change a human heart. No law is going to make that happen. Uh, that will only happen by the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel that is all and only uh, uh, about life, about giving life and about, about restoring life. That's what the gospel of Jesus is about. And the gospel story doesn't start with the appearance of Jesus at Christmas. Uh, the gospel story begins back at creation. And so I want us to go all the way back there this morning, uh, and I want to read some select verses from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and I want to make kind of two points, and I wanna, I'm going to move through these quickly because we have a very special guest that I cannot wait for you to meet. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to move pretty quickly. But read with me uh, from God's Word, Genesis chapter 1, go to verse 26 is where we're going to start. God's Word says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now go over to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Jump down to verse 21. And it says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. This is the word of the Lord, and I pray he blesses its reading. This morning, two quick things that I want to point out that just kind of come out of these verses for me. Now, there are lots and lots and lots of things we could dive into, but there are just two things to me that are kind of relevant to deal with in our culture this day. And the first one is this. Every person, creator or conceived, was first conceived in the mind of God for the purposes of God. Every person that God created in the, the beginning and every person that was conceived after that was first conceived in the mind of God for the expressed purposes of God. Back to verse 26 that we read a moment ago, Genesis 1, it said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion. There was this moment in the creative narrative where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit came together because they were there for all of creation. Our triune God was completely present at, at, at creation. And it, during the creation account, there was this moment when they stopped and they talked together. A conversation was had. A thought was, was shared. And their, their thoughts uh, took place this way, that they would form 
human beings in their own image. They, would, they thought about this. They, 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 they came together and they made the decision to form mankind in, in their image. We, we see this idea all throughout the scriptures. If you jumped over into uh, the book of Jeremiah, uh, God came to the prophet Jeremiah and, and gave him a word about his own personal creation and God's purpose for his life. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 says, the word of the Lord came to me. This is uh, Jeremiah speaking, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. God knew Jeremiah before he was born, before he was formed in his mother's womb. God knew his plans for Jeremiah. Later on, we get uh, into the book of Jeremiah in the 29th chapter. And in Jeremiah 29, God has given uh, Jeremiah a message for his people who are now being held captive in exile in, in, in Babylon. And so God is speaking uh, through Jeremiah to these exiled uh, Israelites. And in verse 29, chapter 29, verse 11, many of you are familiar with this passage. God says, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans the Lord declares for your welfare, not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. These are God's good plans. He knows the plans. They're, they're eternal plans. They have an eternal purpose for each and every single human being ever conceived because they had been conceived in the mind of God. Again, now this unique message in Jeremiah 29 were, was specifically to those who were exiled in Babylon. They were foreigners. They were strangers in a strange land, but God had a beautiful plan for each of them. It was a plan for human dignity to flourish. It was a plan of God's hopes. It was a plan for, for life. One of the beautiful things that's going on today in Charleston, South Carolina, is God is bringing foreigners to our city in, in lots of ways. And recently, God chose to bring some Afghan refugees to our city um, and is giving us the opportunity to, to share in ministering to them. I, I want you to just listen. It's not going to come up on the screen, but I want you to listen to God's word uh, to his people about those who may be foreigners dwelling among them. In Leviticus 19, verse 33, God's word says this. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. Sounds like a message that Jesus gave about the great commandment to love God and love others. See, we've had this opportunity we, we were given an invitation to be a part of welcoming uh, uh, an Afghan refugee family into Charleston, be part of a, a ministry uh, that's kind of a citywide thing happening right now because many families are coming here, and it's called the Circle of Welcome. And our church said we want to be a part of that. And a team was formed. Molly Owens is kind of giving leadership to that team. Uh, Pastor Dave is walking real closely with that team, uh, giving leadership there as well. But we're welcoming this family. One of the things that was unexpected, it just kind of came up. I, I sent a video out last night. I, I know everybody didn't get it. So I just want to briefly repeat it. It, it. This is a way for us to bless uh, th this, this family that God is bringing here. Uh, w w this past week, we were asked if we could co-sign on a lease for uh, a, a place for them to live. 
And again, it was unexpected. We didn't budget for it. Uh, you know, we just approved our budget. Many of you know that resources financially have been kind of tight around here. So the elders said, we, we think God wants to do this, but we've got to take it to the body. Let's take it this way. And so what we did was we, we put out a call, and I'm extending it again this morning. We're looking for 20 families or so who would uh, say, I will pledge, if needed, to give $50 a month to help this family find housing and help get them housed. Now, there are, there, the, the plan is in place for them to do this independent of us financially, and we're hoping for that. We're looking for that. This is what we'll call just a backup parachute. And so we may never call you and say, hey, we need $50 this month. Uh, that is our hope, and, and that's the strategy, the plan. But we felt like we needed to be able to secure a place. And to do that, we are, we're just asking for you to pledge, if needed, $50 a month for a one-year lease to help this family have a place to, to live during this, this transition time. And uh, I just believe God wants us to step into that. And some of you have already committed. Uh, we, we could use a few others. But again, um, if you want to do that, you can call the church office and let us know. You can respond to that text I sent last night. Uh, you can email me and just say, you know, we're in. Here's our contact information. And uh, here's the amount that we could pledge to give monthly for, for up to a year if necessary. Um, I hope you'll take advantage of that because it, it will give us an opportunity to partner with God to encourage the dignity that he desires for these people's lives and, and his plan for hope. One more thought that I want to share with you this morning that kind of flows out of the Genesis account is this, that God's exceptional method of human creation declared his purpose of human exceptionalism over all of creation. In Genesis 1, God lays out the order of creation, and Genesis 1 describes in great detail God's ordering of creation, and we, we see this repetitive phrase, um, you know, day one, God spoke and said, let there be light, and was light. Later on, God speaks and says, let there be creeping animals, and the animals started creeping around. Um, there, there, there's this rhythm to God's creative plan, and it all involved God speaking, God speaking, God speaking, and things happening, things happening, things happening. But then on the sixth day, God changes his method of creation. And instead of speaking, God does something very, very different in the creation of human beings. Verse 7 of Genesis 2, I want to read it again. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. If you jump down to verse 22, it says, The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. God's, God's plan for creating, God's method of creating, changed from just speaking now to words that are intimate. Words of forming, words word of fashioning, personally breathing life, and it was an intimate experience. And I believe that God chose a different way of creating human beings because he wanted us to know that we were exceptional in all of his creation and he would give us an exceptional purpose on this planet. And that creation, uh, that dominion, that plan, that exceptionalism over all other created uh, animals and life continues to hold true. 
King David was reflecting under the leadership of the Holy Spirit about his own life and his creation. And he said these words in Psalm 139 uh, that Gabby read earlier, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. See, God is still intimately involved in exceptionally creating and forming every single human being that has ever been conceived. And it speaks of the exceptional plans that God says he has for human beings. Plans to have dominion over all things. The writer of Hebrews would, would write about this. In Hebrews chapter, chapter 2, we, we read, it has been testified somewhere. He's pointing back to a psalm. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We haven't seen it all yet, folks. God's plan for our dominion over all of creation. Paul writes about this to the church at Corinth, something that's just an incredible thought. Paul writes to them and he says, do you not know? that we are to judge angels. That's an incredible thought, that God has designed the universe so that one day human beings, those of us in relationship with God through his son Christ, will actually somehow judge the work of angels. See, it's, it's God's great plan that human beings are exceptional in his creation. God created all of creation for the express purpose of giving us a place to dwell a place that we could be with him. See, God, God wanted a family. And so God designed all of creation uh, for, with uh, you in mind, a place where you could live and dwell and have fellowship and communion with God. He created us exceptionally. He created us eternally. Now, one of the ways in our day that the enemy, the, the, the evil one, uh, comes into our culture to deceive us and lie to us and attack God is he comes and he attacks the image of God. And one of the, the, the lies that he's pushed out into our culture, a lie that has gained lots of traction really over the last decade and, and into our day, is a lie, and I believe it has provided a foundation for this culture of death to be built upon for things like abortion and euthanasia and those kinds of things. And it's this lie. It's the lie that humans are no more exceptional than a dog or a pig. That there's no difference between us and other animal species. And in fact, some of you may recall this. Back, back in 2012, she was speaking on this subject and Ingrid Newkirk, who was at that time um, kind of a, a top-level staff in the organization PETA, she made this statement in her speech. She says, basically, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. There's no difference. There's no difference. In, and, and she was just promoting this lie that there's no difference in human beings that were created in the image of God, that we don't hold a special place, and therefore, we should not be afforded any Rights more than a rat. That's being just flooding kind of our culture these days. Now, friends, please hear me say I am not advocating cruelty to animals. 
I'm not. And because that's what you get accused of when you put this forth. When you talk about human exceptionalism, that's what you're accused of. And that's a lie. Don't give in to it. Stand against it. But God created you and, and uh, he created us different. He created us exceptional with an, an, an exceptional purpose. And friends, that lie comes straight from the pits of hell. It comes straight from Satan. And it's a direct uh, assault on God's character, on God's image. And so when he attacks the, the image of his, those who bear his image, it's attacking God. See, each and every human being that's ever lived is exceptional and unique in the sight of God. And he has a wonderful, perfect plan for that. And that's why to follow Jesus means that we need to value every human life. From womb to tomb, we, we need to value. We, we need to see the beauty and the dignity and the glory that God created human beings to, to display. And not only do we need to believe it, but we need to teach it. And we need to defend it. We need to defend human dignity and, and the purpose and power of, of every life because every life matters to God. Every life is sacred to God. And that's one of the reasons I am so very, very grateful to introduce to you somebody that I, I'm just learning to know uh, myself. Uh, his name is Brian Miller. And uh, he comes to us uh, today out of uh, the place he lives in Medellin, Colombia. And uh, this man has a heart for God. And years back, he and his wife, Catherine, founded a, a home called Esther's Home that you've heard uh, us talking about for, for some time now. God has given us just the privilege to partner with the kingdom work that they're doing there on the ground. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to warmly welcome Brian Miller to our stage today. Brian, if you would come, brother. I, I told Brian in our first service that um, under no non-pandemic you know, conditions... I'm a hugger, and so he'd be being hugged right now. I, I don't know whether he's thanking God for the pandemic now or not, but um, that would just be the truth right now. Uh, Brian, if you would, tell us a little bit about Brian Miller and Brian Miller's family and how you ended up in Colombia, South America. Well, I'm a hugger. Uh, I'm married to a Latin, so you become a hugger, you know, and... Uh... I'm originally from another country, it's called West Virginia, and, uh, and I, I come into the Lord when I was five years old, and I, I didn't have like the big, crazy, hey, you know, like, I didn't get distracted, and so uh, I love children. I think, you know, when a child says, I love Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, I believe that, it doesn't matter the age, and I think they should keep on walking in the Lord, and so I've always worked with children in children ministries, and and uh, when I was 21, I joined the Air National Guard and started repairing airplanes and uh, going to college. And uh, I was the person that always was at church. And I literally walked to church. It was a mile away from my house. And, uh, and I was always involved in helping street children's ministries in West Virginia. And I went on a short-term mission trip to Columbia and to Kentucky and to Cuba. And then all of a sudden... My heart fell in love with these kids in Colombia when I was 21 years old. That was just like three years ago. No one understood. <laughs> yeah, they understood. Uh, I was 21, and I was working with the Air National Guard. Loved it. I had already traveled to 23 countries with them. Um, but God said, I want you to be a full-time missionary in Colombia. So then I 
moved my degree and uh, I started getting a master's in missions. Um, and then I went and moved to Columbia. Well, I didn't move to Columbia yet. I kept going back and forth and I um, met my wife, which is there somewhere. Um, met my wife there, she was a volunteer in a ministry. She was a pastor's daughter. Um, I was asking for a sign, should I marry this girl or not? And we went to this uh, youth group prayer ministry thing and they said, we need, we need to walk around the neighborhood and anoint the doors with oil. Does anybody got any oil? And she's like, oh yeah, I brought some. We can, and it's like any girl walking around with anointing, anointing oil would be worth marrying, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> Amen. So uh, I was 27 when I got married and she was older than me. She was 20, uh, probably more emotionally older than me. But, um, and then um, 17 years ago, we moved to Columbia and um, we worked full-time with a ministry called Open Arms. We did church planning in the refugee communities, as well as we did street children's ministry. We, uh, we created a ministry there. had up to 98 children in the ministry from street boys, uh, street girls, and even pregnancy girls. Uh, the girls are pregnant, a pregnancy home. Um, but what happened was... Um, I'm going farther into it. But, but the girls, the, that particular ministry... What happened is had a lot of governmental funding. Yeah, if you would grab that mic. You may have to mash it again and see if it lights up on the bar. They can't do their basketball. Just because a kid stabbed another kid with a spoon doesn't mean you can't tell them they can't go play soccer. And that's, so that's how uh, we started another ministry called Global Transformation. But. Well, now, your, that, that formed and grew mm -hmm. into a ministry now uh, called Global Transformation Ministries, mm -hmm. uh, involved in planning churches, and also the birth of uh, this partnership that we've been able to engage in uniquely with Esther's home. Can you tell us a little bit about how that ministry got birthed and transitioned and kind of what it is today? Yeah, so I, seven years ago, I, seven and a half years ago, I was on one of the Colombian holidays. There's only 17 holidays in Colombia. <laughs> and so I was doing a prayer drive to the city and I was like, Lord, you know, what do you want me to do? Because we had this beautiful ministry, but we or it's, it's kind of turning humanistic because the governmental rules are coming so strong. What do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to go to Envigao, Sabaneta, and Estrella, which is like three influential parts of Medellin, and build a church, and from them, you'll reach out to the least of these. And I'm like, Lord, if you want me to do that, you got to give me a sign. I'm driving down the road praying, and I did have my eyes open, but praying and talking to God. And I come around a blind turn when I said, you got to give me a sign. And there was a double rainbow encapsulating those three parts of the city. I was like, okay, Lord, um, I see your sign. So I um, went to my boss and I said, I feel like God's called me to go to the influential people in Medellin to reach out to the least of these. And he's like, I'm only called for the poor. If you want to do that, you got to do it on your own. So that's when we started Global Transformation. And... Um, 
And then we started reaching out to the community there. We just started loving on people. We moved into the wealthy part of the city, and people are like, oh, you're Christians. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you guys are so bad. Like, they didn't really want us there. They're like very, you know, it's like if a Hindu temple is moving next door to you, you know, it was just, and, um, I, you know, I had people insulting me, and it was, it was quite the adventure of trying to relate. As soon as you said you're a Christian, like the mindset was, oh, you're one of those crazy people. You're going to make a bunch of noise in my neighborhood. You're going to create traffic problem. But uh, slowly, thankfully, uh, we just started loving on the community, just trying to love of Christ. You know, like the, I mean, the true story, the germ, uh, cheetah, the, the cheetah, the, che- the big gigantic dog, the, the cheetah, got in a fight with a very small Maltese, and the Maltese lost literally an eye, and so I take the mother and the dog to the veterinarian, good pastoral thing to do, you know. <laughs> this girl never went to our church, but because, hey, you helped me with my dog, I got to go to your church now. And so then she went to the church, come to know Jesus, and then she owns a little store, and she starts telling everybody about how God's transformed her life, want they to go know Jesus, and then they, she started inviting people to church. So it was just like slowly involved and started growing. And then... Um, Three years ago, we started going out in the streets, feeding the poor, feeding the girls in, on the streets that were working in prostitution. We'd go out at nights handing out bread and hot chocolate, and um, we started seeing these young girls working, and just, you know, feel your hearts bleeding out for these young girls from 12 to 30 years old working. And um, one of the girls were pregnant one night, and she said, will you take me home, and I'm like, oh, I'd love to take you home, but I can't take you home, but I know there's a lot of Americans and Colombians would like to take you home, and so we prayed, and we started doing fundraising for Esther's Home, and then we created Esther's Home, which is a crisis pregnancy center. Tell us just a little bit about the work that goes on mm-hmm. and how that's kind of lined out and what, how girls kind of come in and then leave, if you would, just kind of yeah. that movement. Yeah, so we, uh, we work with a uh, pro-life movement there. It's right in front of the abortion clinic right there in Medellin. And we opened our doors up December 19th. It was December 9, 2019. And, um, you know, the abortion clinic calls us. Hey, there's a girl here. She's 19 years old from Venezuela. Venezuela has no place to go. She's living on the streets. Can you take her in? She's pregnant. She's four months pregnant. Would you take her in? So we just started taking girls in. And when they come in, the very first day they show up, we say, you are now part of our family. You will be with us as long as you need to be with us. And we're going, you're our daughter. And we quasi-adopted you. Welcome to this big family of Christ. And our Father in Heaven is our guide. And um, and we start training them. Immediately we start training them. And uh, we have sewing a room like 12 industrial sewing machines we have a beauty parlor so they can learn how to cut hair and do nails so the idea is they can leave their former trade and get a, a job that's worthy and dig, dignified of them and be able to provide for their baby so they come in pregnant we start training them and then after they have their baby the baby sits there in the stroller beside them and they keep on training them and then um, at the same time we're working with christian psychologists as well as you know, 7 o'clock Bible devotion in the morning, 8 o'clock Bible devotion at night. Really, what's the true transformational change is when they come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's, it's amazing um, to see, like, the girls of all their pains, and when they accept Christ as Lord and Savior, they're totally free. Just like we were talking earlier, um, God's the God of second chances. You know, you can take a thousand steps away from the Lord, but only takes one step back to Him. 
and it's just amazing to see these girls totally transformed. And, and then at the last stage, they, the last two months, we put them back to work. Well, we get them like a real job. I'll just call it a real job. And they start providing for the babies and we help them manage their money. And then when we see they're able to manage their money, manage their babies properly, then we help them find an apartment. And so the church or the local church, the different churches in the community are all the time donating uh, for, to us like old refrigerators and sofas. And we help them get a fully furnished apartment. When they leave, actually, they, they do paintings and they do, like, they, make, they made this painting. They, they'll, like, cut hair and, and do things in the sewing place and make some money. And all the money they make is for them when they graduate to provide for their babies. And so, um, so we're blessed. 27 mothers have been rescued since December the 9th, 2019. And uh, right now there are seven mothers living with us. So 20 Amen. mothers have graduated from the home. So that's incredible. Thankful. Amen. Yeah, Thank amen. That's just, just beautiful. Now, um, I, I, this story got told here back in February of, of last year, mm -hmm. uh, how God kind of, I, I don't know how else to say it, other than God miraculously orchestrated um, us coming together to help uh, partner with what you're doing there in Columbia. You and I had never met um, but you have been for years uh, good friends with Dr. Darren Gerdes, and mm -hmm. did I get it right, Darren Gerdes? Close, kind of. I'm close. Uh, <laughs> and uh, a long time ago, you guys got had put y'all together, and Darren is teaching at, at CSU, and uh, and his teaching there connects back to another member of our church. Uh, and he gets involved, Derek Hicks, and back on February 28th, we told that story on this stage. I interviewed those two guys. If you want to know more about the details of that, it's, it's just a beautiful narrative of how God is at work when we don't even see it, and then he does something beautiful. Um, but So we kind of know on our end what God did and how we received it and how incredibly wonderful it has been for us to be a part of supporting and encouraging that work and getting to sell the coffee and be a distribution center and all that kind of stuff, supporting the work of Esther's Home. What, what has that been like on your end? How, how has that impacted or made a difference? Mm -hmm. Yeah, as, as a missionary, you know, 17 years full-time missionary, then seven years before that, like summer missionary, I have never had a church say, hey, we don't know you, but we're going to help you. I mean, it's like normally you're knocking the door, you're calling, you're like trying to push your way in the side of a church, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and it was just amazing the way God joined our hearts together and the joy, you know, just God's hand all over it. We, we opened up our home December, 19, December 9, 2019. We had four girls in the home, and all of a sudden March COVID hit, everything closed down. I had seven teams that were signed up to come to Columbia. I'm thinking it's like oh, 2,500 pounds of coffee. We can get back to America to sell, you know. Um, the coffee is what uh, funds the, the majority of the girls' homes. So, like, my thought was we have, we have at least over 50% of the funding for the girls' home. We're good through the coffee sales. Well, there's no way to get coffee back to America. What's going to happen? And then just, just the way God orchestrated the us coming together and having the same heart and passion to help these girls. And to me, it's just been amazing. I tell them, so the girls made this painting for your church, and it's the, the painting is more like God's hand pulling a girl out of the water, not uh, P. 
Peter out of the water, but it, you know, that we really that's what you're doing is taking these girls, is calling out to the Lord and raising them up and, and helping them to walk in the Lord. It's been, it's been a step of faith, and and to see you guys come together, it's just like showing God's sovereignty. God has control. All you got to do is cry out to the Lord, and He'll respond. And to see like your church coming together has been amazing. And really, truly, like we think one bag. Everybody, most of us drank a cup of coffee this morning, and to think that. The bag of coffee that you buy is buying a package of diapers in Columbia. The bag of coffee you're buying is probably making three people eat at lunch today. So it's been a, a true blessing um, what your church is doing. And, and, and behind the scenes is like really the, 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 the true work of the church is behind the scenes. You know, it's for God to get all the glory and, and what we've been doing. So I'm very thankful for what you're all doing. Well, we, we are blessed of God to get to do this and just the way that the Lord worked that, that whole, whole thing out. The, I mean, the thought of your, your strategy was we're going we're gonna to use human mules to bring coffee mm-hmm. and then COVID shut that down and God did something in the hearts of a couple of men in our church and it blossomed. It, it still blows me away. It's just mm-hmm. such a beautiful narrative of the power of God to, uh, to make a difference all over the world in ways I could not create if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, t- Brian, uh, tell us, if you would, a little bit about, um, you know, we, we, I talked a moment ago about kind of the culture of death that seems to have permeated America and kind of how this issue of abortion uh, is, is foundational in that, that culture. Um, what, what, is, what, is, what, what is it like in Columbia, South America? What's the culture like there on this issue and, and sanctity of life versus this culture of death? What, what's kind of going on there, man? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in Colombia, the Roman Catholic Church is 91, depending on what you look, it's 91 to 94 percent. And so they're very strong on all the things of Catholicism. And if you see back around 10, 15 years ago when the uh, president of Colombia would talk, there'd always be the priest or the, be standing behind him saying, yes, we're here supporting what he's doing. And you could see kind of almost like there is a separation in state and government, but at the same time, it's like if the, the priest is with you, it's okay, you know. Um, and around 15 years ago, they come in and they made a, um, the, the U.S. come in and started doing these trainings, and as well as UNICEF come in and started doing training, so they opened up the laws for abortion. And the, the laws say, you should not do any abortion unless the mother's life was like 100% in danger, and then all the other abortions were done underneath the scene illegally. Um, but now they, they authorize if you are... If your life's in danger, or if you've been sexually abused, you can get abortion. And but now the girls, they make a line in front of the hospital, and they go, "Are you, have you been sexually abused? No. Are your life in danger? Well, no. Do you feel emotionally upset? Well, yeah, I do. Well, come in here and talk to the psychologist for a couple minutes. So you talk to the psychologist for 15 minutes, and he just signs the paper from the other babies, and, not to abort their babies. And so... And really the big pushers of abortion is not the general public, it's the, it's the government and the, and the um, medical doctors because it's trying to quit poverty. And so like a young girl, uh, one of the, about the fourth girl come to her home, she was two hours outside the city, small town, this was her second baby, she was super um, poor. The, she went to the doctor thinking she had a stomach pain and the doctor said, you're seven months pregnant. And she says, well, I can't be pregnant. There's no way. I didn't even know I was pregnant. And so the doctor said, well, you can go right now to Medellin and abort your baby if you want. And so the doctors paid for the ambulance to go all the way to Medellin. And she had already filled all the paperwork, and she was waiting for an injection. 
And one of the pro-life people stepped in and said, hey, why well, don't you have your baby? And we could put the baby up for adoption. Oh, yeah, it'd be a lot better. But, and, you know, and so then they come over to us, and she had her baby, but she didn't put her for the adoption. She kept her baby, and she's living uh, well with her baby. She's providing for her baby. And so, but, but the main influencer are, is the government as well as the, um, the medical people. You know, I, I said this in the first service. I was shocked mm-hmm. when you when you made the statement that you made that really 15 years ago, the influence of our nation and its culture of death has been exported mm-hmm. globally. And it showed up in Medellin, Colombia and just broke my heart to think about that. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's part of what we need to continue to pray and repent of in, in, in the days ahead. Um, and just kind of speaking of days ahead, Brian, what, um, I'm going to ask you to vision out for just a second. What, what other ways could you see River Bluff uh, partnering with the work that God is doing there in Medellin, in Esther's home, or uh, the church planning work that you guys are, could, could you kind of maybe line out what other possibilities of, of our partnering with you could look like in the days ahead? Yeah, so like if you see over here, you got like Gabriela que habla español, that she talks Spanish. You have this young group over here, so you got to take, she could just take the whole youth group right there in the corner, right down to Colombia and translate for them. Um, and then you got like these guys over here who like, know how to do construction work and paint. I would love to have a short-term trip to Colombia, but we do have translators. And everyone says, I can't talk Spanish. Well, that's not a problem, right? You can, you will have translators, but we also have 65 communi- 65% of communication nonverbal. But short-term teams would be great to have of all ages. I've had literally newborns to 87-year-old people to Columbia. It's fun to have families come down. It's fun to have individuals. It's fun to have young couples to come down. Because with the young couples, it's like giving a vision to these girls. Hey, you know, yeah, I should have a husband and wife. I see them arguing, but they don't hit each other. They don't slap, you know, and it's like it's a, it's a great influence. With short-term teams, we've done, like, with the youth groups go out and do, like, street evangelism in, in the parks, and do, like, VBSs, and go in the local school system doing VBSs, as well as the girls' home, where the girls' home's at. We have plans to plant another church there, because there's a lot of lean-to neighborhoods around that home, and just to be able to reach out to the community. So I would love for you to come. Another way to connect is, like, you could buy more coffee, but also share the coffee to your friends, right? To talk to your friends or your other friends, other churches to help promote the coffee in their church. Um, it's better than Coca-Cola. And uh, <laughs> no, but, and then we have like a newsletter. You can get our quarterly newsletter and pray for us. Like honestly, all everything we do, we bathe in prayer before we do it and just see God's hand orchestrating and the things we pray for. If it doesn't happen, it's not because of the Lord. And so we... Uh, cherish the prayers of the people and um, you know I, I cherish that you guys are helping us with the coffee here but I really cherish more of the prayers that you guys are doing I even hear like as people sending them out they're praying for each package is going out to the people so I, I do, that's one of the some of the ways that you can come down and help our ministry and 
what, what you said about the newsletter reminds me that if you would like to receive uh, that newsletter, you can sign up to do that uh, in the ministry center at, at the end of our, our B hallway here on our main hallway. You can just go in there. There's a sign-up sheet to, to receive uh, regular communication from Brian about the ministries that's, that's going on there. There's actually a hard copy. You could pick one up today if you wanted to carry that out with you. Um, you, could, you could do that. And, uh, and just look for additional ways and keep your eyes and ears open to new partnership opportunities that God's going to bring our way. Brian, one of the things that uh, you have an advantage over us with is you're not, uh, you're not sunk in this culture like we are uh, all the time mm-hmm. immersed in it. And so you have a different view when you come back to the States, I think, ha- having been in a foreign country. Um, one of the things that I would like for, to give you an opportunity to do is maybe... Maybe speak a word of challenge to us is as to how you would encourage us uh, as a church, as, as individuals, to, in our own culture, to, to stand uh, for the sacredness of life and to stand against, you know, abortion. And what kind of work could, would you challenge us to engage in and think about and do? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Speak to that, yeah. brother. Yeah. You know, I was thinking... I, um one is, is as, as parents, we had this thought of, well, our, my kids will, like, learn about that kind of stuff on their, you know, they go to church and they go to school. They'll learn, they'll, they'll be teaching them what they need to learn. But really, like, as parents, we need to be actively involved and be the one teaching our kids to prevent unwanted pregnancies and to prevent, you know, lifestyles we don't desire. So, like, first, as parents, is rise up and... Be, be respons- it's not the church's responsibility. We're here to help, to guide. <laughs> but it's really, as a parent, I'm responsible to my child. So one is as a parent to be actively involved in your children and teaching them what's right and wrong and being verbally saying it. The other is, like, there are lots and lots of opportunities here in, in our city to make an impact. Thir- 28 minutes from this site, there's a abortion clinic, the Planned Parenthood's right around there, 28 minutes from here. 5,400 babies were aborted inside, or 5,400 families from South Carolina aborted their baby in 2020. It is amazing, like, to stand out in front of those clinics and, and pray and, and ask God to intervene, to be part there helping to rescue these uh, babies and mothers from, from this tragedy. And, and so that would be one thing, to get involved, to be praying. The other is the power of the pen, I guess in this day, the power of the email, right? I mean, politicians are voting, push the vote for what the public says. If we were actually voiceful with our desires, instead of the other side being voiceful with their desires, if we made more noise than them, we could have more impact than the laws and regulations made in Columbia. So like, if I just, I'm gonna take one email a week, and I'm gonna write one email a week, and just keep on writing it to my different politicians in South Carolina, in the United States, and in the government, to make, your, make the Lord's voice known, his desires known, right? I think to really, when we have like the marches and the, um, to really march, get to take, I know it's hard, but you could go get you a cup of coffee and stand out there and pray and, uh, and go out there like really to go, to take an extra step out, um, to be aggressive about it. So that'd be some, some ways I would, and really I know like everyone thinks, well, what would they even do at abortion? Like I didn't know what to do at abortion. Like I used to stand out from abortion clinic in Virginia Beach, but they said, you just stand right here and you pray. And, and then they send someone out to talk to the mothers. It's very easy, but there is power. You know, where two or three gather, he is there. And so I would 
encourage you guys to put in your calendar, I'm going to do this these days and really step forward and doing it. In the first service, you told a story about tape. Oh, tape, yeah. Um, so one of my friends in Virginia Beach is an amazing guy. He, he's over the whole pro-life movement there in Virginia Beach, and he, um, he was averaging rescuing one mother about every 20 days. And one day they all put red tape over their mouth and wrote life. And they just stood there in front of the abortion clinic. Then they started averaging one mother a week. Um, and I was like, what? What was different? Why, why do you think the red tape really changes what's going on? He goes, well, it's not the tape. We quit talking and we started praying. And uh, it's just the power of prayer. You also, you know, in, in the first service gave us a bit of a challenge and we talked about it. Uh, about serving at a, a pregnancy center. And we've got mm -hmm. folks here uh, who, who do that. Liddy, raise your hand. L Liddy is, is one who serves at uh, Low Country Prize Pregnancy Center, and she would love to help anybody who wants to volunteer there to, to get connected. We have others who, who serve as well, um, and that's another way that you encouraged us uh, to do that. Um, Brian knows that I, I was going to ask him to do this. We, we want to close our service uh, this morning uh, in prayer, uh, and, and Brian's going to pray, and uh, I've asked Darren if Darren would come in a moment and, uh, and pray over uh, our brother Brian and the ministry there, but before you pray, is there anything else that you just wanted to say or share? Or, or... Mm -hmm. Well, I just, I just really want to say thank you. I mean, really honestly, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, and the girls want to say thank you for your help, because like, if it wasn't for us partnering together, these girls wouldn't have a home and just really want to thank you for saving life and being a part of our ministry. And mi casa is su casa. My house is your home. You can come down anytime you want. And uh, just thank you. I just thank for God's heart. And I thank you for like your pastor's heart and desire for missions. I didn't like usually go to church like something this big. Hey, we're going to use one of your offices and we're going to sell coffee. Like people are like, oh, I don't know about that. And just to see the heart, yes, this is rescuing babies. Yes, I'm all in for it. So I'm just thank, thank you, Pastor, and your congregation for the heart of rescuing babies. Thank you. Well, if you would, Brian, I'm going to ask you to pray for, for us, for our nation, uh, for the, the, the decision that our Supreme Court justices are in the process of making on this issue of abortion in our land. Um, I'm I'm praying for Jubilee, man. I'm praying for a, 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 a turn. Um, and, uh, and, and then pray for us that where we, where we live, work, and play, that we'll be, we'll be light uh, for the cause of life, that all of life is sacred. If you would pray for those things for us and anything else, the, the Holy Spirit will lead you to pray. And then, Darren, uh, if you would come and, and pray over Brian and, and for the work there, uh, I, I'd appreciate that. So if you... You'd lead us as we pray. All right. Lord, um, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to share what you're doing in Colombia. And Lord, I thank you for the message of the day that we, we were created. And it says that uh, when you created man and woman, that, uh, that we were created very good. And Lord, we just thank you that, uh, that we have our are born with a purpose. And Lord, created with a purpose, Lord. And Lord, we just ask for forgiveness as a nation to permit uh, so many young babies to be destroyed, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we just ask for forgiveness. And we just ask that you would uh, bless the Supreme Court to um, 
and make a correct decision, Lord Jesus. We just ask for the people that are trying to present new laws to them, they're trying to present new bills. We pray that your grace would be upon them, Lord, and that they will be able to show your desire for creation. And we just pray that, uh, you know, the, the Supreme Court's worried if they change their ruling, then it would um, make their court look bad, Lord. And I pray that that would not be the reasons, Lord, but that you would truly change the rules, that there would be God-fearing rules. And we just ask this as a nation that would be a God-fearing nation. We just pray for River Bluff. I pray for the individuals here, Lord. I pray that we would be a light in the community, that we would love people to you. We pray that for the mothers that are in making tough decisions, Lord, to keep their babies, Lord. I pray that as a family of the Lord that we would come by them and help them and encourage them to have their babies, Lord, and help them carry their babies through the whole full process all the way to health and college. And we just pray that you bless these uh, young babies that are in limbo right now. And Lord, we just pray that um, you would bless our, our words and our deeds, Lord Jesus, that everything we do would glorify and honor your name and that you would be the king of all that we do. And we just ask this in your name in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that, uh, that you loved us, that you drew us to yourself, that you called us to be part of your plans uh, for this world, not just here locally, but throughout the world, and that we can be part of this, um, even if we are not in Colombia, that we can be part of uh, this ministry as well. And uh, I just ask that first that um, for those listening here that, uh, you know, are now affected by this thinking, you know, what can I do that you will guide them, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through researching about this, talking about this, giving to this process, or going on short-term trips to Columbia to work in this ministry, that you'll just give them clear guidance and direction. I also ask that you'll uh, strengthen Brian, that you'll give him continued protection as he's been in some sketchy places trying to serve those who need the most uh, help. And I ask that you give him wisdom and strength uh, uh, to do more with this ministry. And I ask also for the, the women that have been brought into this ministry as they are being converted, coming to you, and then they're going to be taking care of the next generation. And I just ask that you give them strength. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done here. Be glorified through Brian, through Casa Esther. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to just say one more thing to, to, to us. Um, kind of a pastoral thought, if you would. Uh, I know that abortion has touched the lives of people in our church. And whether you were someone who uh, gave in to that lie uh, and aborted a child, or whether you're a man who maybe funded uh, an abortion, there is forgiveness from the Lord. Uh, you know, Brian said a moment ago that it's just you know, it may take you a thousand steps to get away from him, but it's just one to come back. And all you got to do is go to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me. And he will, and he'll wipe your, your slate clean no matter what you've done. God will do that because that's who he is. He's a forgiving God. He doesn't want you to, to walk around uh, in shame, in guilt. Uh, he, he wants you to be set free. He wants your life to be a life of jubilee, a life that's restored, a life that's refreshed a life 
that is blessed so that we could experience the blessing from God and then go and be part of that blessing. God is for you. He is with you. He has a plan for you. You are sacred and holy unto the Lord. And so is everybody else that you meet. So meet them in the name of Jesus to be a blessing to them and a blessing to the world because every life is sacred unto God. He is for you. Go with that promise in Jesus' name and be blessed. Hope to see you soon. Thank you.